just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. My name is Johnny Ball. This is Speaking Influence, the show that helps you Build your influence and become a powerfully persuasive communicator. Guests on the show have ranged from successful authors and entrepreneurs, secret service members, psychologists, marketing and branding experts, even the occasional professional comedian or world champion of public speaking, even professional storytellers, former cult members, neuroscientists, voice coaches, professional stylists, political speechwriters, and public speaking experts. Every episode takes our guest's knowledge and experience, turning it into actionable information that you can use to build a deeper understanding of how the world of influence and persuasion works, to become a better user of the weapons of ethical influence and persuasion in life and in business, making us each a bit better off than before. Also, sometimes allowing us to explore the world of unethical influence and persuasion so that we can recognize it and even defend ourselves against it. On this show, we are exploring the world of digital influence with my guest, Greg Kilstrom. Greg is a coach, author, keynote speaker, and an expert in digital transformation. And he certainly understands how to make the most of the digital world and build your influence there. This was an interesting exploration into an area that we haven't discussed that much on the show before. I had a great chat with Greg. I hope you will enjoy it too. So enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that helps you to master the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach, Johnny Ball. If you're a coach, speaker, or course creator and would like to have a simple online ecosystem for your business where you can create funnels, build an integrated website, sell and host courses and live programs, build your list with lead magnets, manage your sales, create communities, and so much more in a way that is affordable and fully supported, you'll love New Zendler. You can try everything out for free. And if you love it, you can register for monthly or discounted annual billing. It's more cost-effective than most other similar platforms. Don't pay for a multitude of services you have to then link up manually. Get an online solution that does everything you need in one place. Find the link in the show notes and try New Zendler as the all-in-one solution for your business today. Welcome to Speaking Influence. And today we are going to be discussing influence in the digital world and on other platforms as well. We're someone who has a great deal of expertise in that area. His name is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the show, Greg. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to speaking to you and saying that people are interested in talking more about things like customer experience and change, being able to market well and effectively sell consulting and coaching services online and personal branding. All these things we love talking about on the show. So we're going to have a good conversation. 
Now, you're someone who's done uh, a lot of different things. Right? We were just saying before we started recording there, you're in fact someone who started up uh, a business with very little money. We want to hear about that in a very short while. But before we do, I have a question that I'm asking all my guests now at the start of the show, which is for somebody who you look up to, respect, admire, in terms of influence and persuasion and why? Yeah, sure. So I, I'm a podcaster as well, but I read a lot of books. So I'm, I would say from a management leadership and even a startup perspective. So Ben Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz, I read, he has a couple books. One of them is called the hard thing about hard things. And just kind of, I like his perspective on there's, a, there's so many books on leadership and so many like do this, then do that, then do that. And, and as a leader, I've you know been CEO a couple of times in, in various organizations it's hard to directly apply those lessons from some of those books to life because it doesn't happen in the order that you wish it would. And so I think you know, he has a good perspective on that. And also just is active on things like clubhouse and some other newer channels and just trying new things. So, you know, I, I definitely recommend checking out his books. Excellent. Well, good. So we mentioned just before about you starting up uh, a business with really no no capital get to get things going I'd like to hear a bit more about that sure yeah so my my digital experience agency i started a company called carousel 30 so this was back in 2000 so a, a little bit ago i was just a kid so you know some of it came down to i didn't know what i didn't know and so you know i didn't i've started a company since then with funding and and all of that but at the time i really just it, it was kind of a classic entrepreneur um mindset of i wanted to start a company so that i got to do everything that i love doing all the time I quickly found out that there's also things like accounting and HR and, and legal and all that other stuff yeah. that ended up taking much more of my time than, than I thought it would. But being able to get a company off the ground with outside funding, I mean, it was a great experience because it made us scrappy. It made us just force ourselves to think really creatively about how we were going to accomplish things. It's amazing to me how you know, a lot of people will say they can't do stuff because they don't have the resources, they don't have the funding, the money. And, and yet resourcefulness is always highly underrated as a skill that's something we can all do. But when we have the opportunity, when we are restricted, we either say, oh, well, I can't do that because we make it our excuse or we utilize that. And actually it can be very powerful. Restrictions uh, can be very powerful in moving things forward rather yeah. than if you have all the resources and everything else available to you, it can be harder to know where to start or what to do. When you're restricted, you have a very narrow path to how you can move ahead. Yeah, agreed. And I think now having done this a few times, I'm, I think I have a better mindset as far as putting in place processes and cost control and all that kind of stuff. But I think back in the day when I was really just starting out, if I would have had $10 million at my disposal, I don't think I would have made the best choices. You know what I mean? I would have just thought, oh, wow, we've got all these mountains of cash. Let's just, let's try everything. So I think it, I learned how to be scrappy, as I was saying, and smart with very little. And I think as I grew and I've, I've been an employee at organizations, I've been a partner, I've been, you know, a leader at organizations as I, I've applied those lessons throughout. So, so that's great. I think it's going to be some very encouraging 
news, something that's very good to hear for people who are wondering, well, I don't have a lot of resources or I'm not sure how to get started on a, on a very limited budget or with, almost with no budget at all. It can be done. There's going to be lessons to learn from it. And, and maybe they should come and connect with you and, and get some pointers as to how to get started with all of that. But tell us a bit about what you're actually doing now professionally. Yes. Yeah, so now I'm I'm doing consulting for I would say it's it's advising, coaching, management consulting, and also working on what what one of my I guess one of my strengths I would say is just teasing apart very complex problems. And often an organization, even a very large organization, has really good people, talented people in specific roles, but there's a lot of things that kind of slip between the cracks. And that's a role that I try to play and help leaders just figure out where are things going wrong? What, what are we missing? Are there additional roles that need to get hired? Are there consultants like myself that could be brought in on a temporary basis to just solve this thing and tease it apart? So that's, uh, in a way, I'm kind of like a fixer for, for, for challenges like that. And then, you know, I also just advise and coach leaders on, on a longer term to to help them get through, whether it's growth, change, or just the pushing through the status quo. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the people who tune into this show are, are people who are doing some kind of consultancy or, or coaching work. And, and many of them may find themselves also to be somewhat on the side of introversion. And this is something that we talked about uh, a while back as being something that might be good to bring up in in the call today about how you actually move forward and do that effectively when you are somewhat introverted and maybe feel shy about putting yourself out there. Yeah, it's, I, I will say it's in my career. So my first public speaking thing, I think was in like 2010 or 2011 or something like that. So about 10 years ago now, if you would have asked me a few years prior to that, if I would have ever done public speaking, I would have thought you're crazy. And so that what I've learned over the last decade or so is that introverts can play extroverts for short periods of time very successfully. They can actually do it better than some extroverts because they're cognizant of things that extroverts may not always be watching for because they're just more externally focused. They're not necessarily observers. But, you know, it's, it would, it was definitely, so public speaking was one thing that I had a challenge to, to overcome. I, I won't say I'm the best public speaker in the world, but I've gotten a lot better at it and a lot more confident at doing it. The other thing is facilitating. So getting up, it's one thing when everyone is just there to kind of sit and, and watch what you're doing. And maybe somebody gives you a look or something, but there's not a lot of interaction or reaction, but taking it a step further is facilitating group meetings. Again, if you would have asked me this 15 years ago, I would have thought you're crazy. I was the person like in the corner, like in the sitting in the back of the room, whatever. Um, but just learning to overcome some of those initial, initial objections. And there's some, there's some tricks that I've learned over the years to get me over it as well. I'm never going to say, okay, now all of a sudden I am an extrovert. I always, I recharge by being alone and spending time yeah. just in, in, in a bit of solitude, but I actually find it enjoyable now to get up in front of people or to, to work with people and facilitate and stuff like that. Yeah, that was something I was wondering because uh, I know I had a similar experience being somewhat naturally introverted myself. I, I would say, and I have said this in conversations with people before, that I feel that I have pushed the needle more, not to becoming an extrovert, but to being much more comfortable as an ambivert, although that can be situational. So sometimes when I'm 
outside of my professional life, I still like to have time by myself. I still like peace and quiet and, and time to think and listen to music and reading all those stuff that introverted people tend to like. And, but yeah, I actually can get up on a stage or come and do stuff like this and really love doing it. Uh, and I don't think it's a barrier to doing this stuff at all. In fact, I think introverts, naturally introverted people are excellent speakers, excellent presenters and facilitators just as much as anyone else. And yeah. I think it's, there, there are huge benefits to being introverted in that arena. But I, yeah, but I did want, I did wonder for you, like what, what sort of things did you feel that really pushed you through? You said you had some tricks and some things that you helped yourself push through with that. Can you share what one of those was? Yeah, sure. So yeah, the best, I think the best speaking advice I ever got, this was not my idea, but came from a, a mentor that I highly respect is just told me that when you go, let's say you're speaking at a conference or something, there's a bunch of people sitting in the room and I've done tiny ones with 10 people sitting in the room. I've done one with some with hundreds of people in a room. All of those people sitting in that room want you to succeed. They're, they're not there to make fun. It's not like the Muppets show or whatever with people trying to make fun of the <laughs> the people on stage or whatever, everyone doesn't want their time wasted. You know, it's a selfish interest, but yeah. at the same time, they want you to be good. They want you to succeed. And so if you're, if you are terrible, yes, they'll, they may leave or they may be bored or whatever, but everybody at the start of that thing is like, okay, I'm focusing my energy. I chose this room instead of the other session. I chose this conference instead of something else. So like everyone is on your side and just knowing that gives, that helps give confidence to say, okay, well, I've everybody's everybody here is aligned on the same goal as me right now. And so that, that just, that helps me incredibly. Yeah. I think that's, that's super important. One of the things I, I wonder though, I mean, you do a few different things that are fairly public, like your, your public speaking, podcasting and more, more besides. So I, I wonder for you, what things do you feel have most pushed the needle in terms of making a difference in your professional life? Yeah, I do think the speaking and really speaking, writing, podcasting, all of those things I just see it's, they're not money makers. I've sold books and I've gotten paid to speak here and there, and I, I have a sponsor for my podcast. So it's not that there's no dollars in it, but it really is. It's all about business development and meeting people and making connections. It's not like every guest on my show, I'm not trying to sell them on stuff, but they're another connection. And sometimes they help me, sometimes I help. Them. So I see all of those things as just an, an opportunity to just spread my message or my expertise or my focus out there. And when people need that, they reach out. I've had people that have said, Hey, they, they've read my articles on Forbes, for instance, for a couple of years now. And all of a sudden they picked up the phone and, and called or sent an email and said, Hey, are you interested in this consulting gig? And again, people that I didn't even know, but they knew me for a while. And so it's all, I think it took me a little while to get to a point where I even felt like to go even back to the introversion thing, even writing, that's something that introverts, you know, can do much more easily, but sure. it took me a little while even to figure out what is my voice and what, what am I actually trying to say in the world? And the more the, I think the, the more I do, the more I focus in on what I'm really talking about is how people manage change. Yeah. And the more I talk about that, I, the more things I find to say about it, whether it's on a podcast or an article or a book or, or whatever. What in your opinion are the things that most create influence for somebody and 
help build up their presence and status as uh, somebody who is a consultant or speaker or coach? Yeah, I think it, it depends on the individual and how much I've been told I do too much. Sometimes I don't think you have to do, I don't think you have to have every channel and do all of that stuff in order to sometimes focus is the key. And I'm a, I have a bit of ADD and I'm, I like to just do a lot of things and experiment with stuff and things as well. But I think it's more about doing, finding a channel or channels and just doing it really well. And letting people, if you do a podcast, for instance, you may miss out on people that don't listen to podcasts, but right. those that do know that you do it really well, and you're going to be the one that they call when they need something. And so I think it's, it's the antithesis to what I do sometimes, but, but I, I do think focus is for, and then when you do that one thing really well, then sure, add other things to the mix and find efficient ways to, to do things to cross purpose. If you write an article. Maybe you write, you then turn that into a book or you turn that into a, a podcast or, or something like that as well. Like be smart about what you're doing. Cause you know, if you spread yourself too thin, you're not going to have time to do the consulting or whatever it is that is your day job. Yeah. I think that's wise words because I think a lot of people will start up in industry or they're still maybe at a stage where they're finding themselves spinning the wheels and not really seeing the kinds of results that they want to be seeing. And that could be in part because they're trying to do everything that they see more successful people doing without necessarily seeing that people have had to build that up rather yeah. than you know, nobody's sets up that ecosystem with just everything running all at once. That would be madness. It has to be stuff that you build on and figure out what works and how it works and get systems in place and all that kind of stuff. And, and so if you start off trying to do all of that at once, it's going to be a very hard uphill climb to get anywhere if you manage that at all. But if you, like you say, focus and pick your thing, what you're maybe strongest at, or you want to be strongest at, and do that and get some traction there, then you can build all those other things on top of that. And it's going to make much more sense. Now, yeah, I mean, cause yeah. if you think about it from the customer perspective, it's like, okay, well, do you buy from brands that are just there in front of you, or do you buy from brands that make you feel something or solve a real challenge, like communicate solving a real challenge. And so, yeah, simply being on Twitter doesn't matter. You know, if someone sees one tweet from you and then it's not very compelling, it just kind of, you can tell it was kind of phoned in or whatever, it, you might as well not bother. Wait till you're ready to be on a channel, do it well. And I'm, I'm an agile person as well. I believe in, in testing and experimenting and then potentially abandoning if it doesn't work. But don't be afraid to stop doing something as well, as long as you give it a, at least are methodical in the way that you're testing and understanding if it works or not. Yeah, and give it a, a real go rather than just some half-assed attempt at right, moving right. something forward, for sure. And and I wonder for you, I mean, everyone has to go through this stage of not being known for what they do and not really having that, that clarity. What was the point for you where you started to move from someone who was like virtually unknown in their space to someone who started to become more known for what you do? And, and what do you feel were the kinds of things that were getting you noticed at that time? Yeah, I think the... What really helped me to go back to just understanding what the value is that I really bring. I was, I, I owned the, the digital experience agency. So I was writing about a lot of marketing topics and trying to be in, I guess I was doing a lot of, to the previous point, I was talking about a lot of different random things and hoping that something stuck. And I think it was really when I started understanding for me, it was 
agile is the way that I describe this, this way of managing change. And so I, when I, when I talk about agile, there's like big A agile, which is like scrum masters and very technology and a very strict set of principles and things like that. I'm a little more what I call small A agile, which is just a mindset of being iterative, methodical, but, you know, iterative and open to change and things like that. And so when I started understanding that that's really where my value was and not just do I know about social media marketing or programmatic advertising or not to diminish those things. There's people that do great work and, and spend their careers focusing on those things, but that's not the value that I bring. The value that I bring is, is something that kind of spans a bunch of different things because Again, I have a short attention span. I like to do a lot of things. I know this much about many different things. Like that's just me. That's there's it's values. It's not good or bad. It's just like who I am. And so once I understood that, then I was able to really focus and say, okay, I can help a lot of different people understand and manage change and get better through, through iteration and things like that, whatever they happen to be doing. Yeah. It's important stuff, and it's a real journey as well. It's a real journey. What were the, some things, some of the things that were maybe the indicators to you? Are, ah, people are waking up to what I'm doing and really noticing it. What, what started to be the the signals and signs that things were moving? Yeah, you know, things like more speaking invitations or being guests on other people's podcasts or or things like that are getting getting invited to write articles for some good publications, as well as just the the types of consulting offers that i was getting were from larger more sophisticated companies and so because again i think it goes back i have a background in branding and marketing it's on the one hand it's all it's common sense but it's so hard to apply some things to yourself sometimes or even your own company when someone knew what they were asking for it was a lot easier to ask me for it so in other words just if you have a generic marketing ask or management leadership consulting ask, who actually has that? They actually have specific problems that they need to solve. And when they can see the alignment in what I focus on, it's so much easier. Just like, again, you think of a product or service you use, when it solves that specific challenge that you have, like you're going to buy from them and you're going to keep buying as long as they provide good service. Yeah. There, there are a lot of people now who are in the brand management, the brand's personal branding space, doing one thing or another. And I, I wonder from your perspective, what do you think is really important for people to be focusing on in terms of something like their own personal brand? Yeah, I think, um, once you find that, that core of what your value is, it's consistency. And I think the more consistent that I am, the more success that I have in that. And again, it was a hard thing for me to learn despite all my work with clients telling them exactly that it's hard to apply it to yourself. Cause from my standpoint, I don't, I'm, I don't like to be said, oh, well, you're this kind of person or you're that even, even labeling myself as an introvert. It took me a little while to, to just really embrace that and say, you know what? Yes, it is. I am who I am. And there's good with that. There's less good with that, let's say, but it is what it is. So as a person that doesn't love to be late in any way that, that it's going to antithesis to, to what I try to do, but the more I do it, the easier it is for people to find and understand that they can work with me and the happier I am. Cause they're actually asking me to do stuff that I love doing. So it's, yeah. it can be a win-win. It's an interesting thing with human psychology. Like when we consider ourselves, we don't really want to be labeled. We don't want to be boxed into just one thing. 
But when we are considering other people, probably outside of our friends and family so much, <laughs> uh, but and outside of our region, we want to be able to easily and simply categorize people and put people into neat little boxes. And so from that perspective, it is really helpful to be known for just one thing, because that's what people want to know you for. They want to know you for that one thing. And if you start to have too many things going on, people don't know where to put you. And I think that's one of the biggest issues when it comes to be talking to a lot of people who coaches and consultants and speakers who I work with who don't want to niche in. They don't want to be known for just that one thing. It's like, well, this is probably the reason why that's always going to be a struggle for you because it's just not how people's minds work. And, yeah. and so I, I think it is super important. Like we personally resist it, but in the professional world, give them that one thing and then give them everything else as well on top of that, that you feel is going to be relevant or important. But being known for that one thing will open all of those doors. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I directly to your point, it's the opportunity to show the breadth of, and, and diversity of what you can offer is after you make the sale, just to be, to be blunt about it, the, the time to, the, the time to do all that stuff is after, cause they, again, they've got to, to your point, they've got to understand why it is they're buying. You buy a product based on some price or quality or reputation. There's something that makes you buy that product. And there's something stuck, even just from a behavioral, like a cognitive bias thing. It's you've seen something and it's the first thing, it's the last thing, it's the whatever, whatever bias that kind of is stuck in your head, you're buying that product because of that it's the same with hiring consultants, people, coaches, all of that stuff is like, if I write some random article on some topic because I just feel like it and I'm sick of writing about all this other stuff and someone sees it, there that there may be many people that associate me with that one thing that was just kind of an off thing. I don't even want to do it. I just did it because I was bored. That's if it's not putting you on your path to your goal, it's probably it's either a detriment to that goal or it's just it's going to confuse people and none of it's good. We'll return to the show in just a few moments. Like me, you have a message to share with your audience and it's important. In fact, it could change their lives. But first, you need to be very clear about two things. Exactly who are you trying to help and what can you offer them that no one else can? Because it all starts there and it's all about your brand. Brandface sponsors this podcast and they help people just like you to define, develop and display a brand that positions you as an authority. It's time to make sure you stand out. Find out more at learnaboutbrandface.com. That's learnaboutbrandface.com. Now back to speaking influence. Yeah, it's it's interesting thing because I, I remember uh, some time back, you know, when Amazon first started up and eBooks, you could start doing them. And most of the stuff that was initially coming out was pretty basic stuff. It took a while for those novels and long stuff. It was often probably the kind of stuff people use as lead magnets now. And, and, and I put stuff out as, uh, but I put it under different names because it was all sort of stuff. I well, I have these bits of knowledge. You know, I have a history in the travel industry, so I put some stuff out around travel and stuff like that. But I put it under different names, and so. 
when people say to me, oh, where can I find your books? So you're not going to find them under my name because I did not want them to be associated with what I'm doing now yeah. uh, because it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mix things up and uh, people are going to think, oh, he's that guy who talks about travel and upgrades um, and things like that. It's like, no, it's like, that's just one aspect of something that I was doing. Yeah. And, and so you can keep those things, uh, you can keep those things separate. Like you have a load of other information that's completely unrelated to what you do and you want to do something with it. You still can, but you may want to explore some alternatives of protecting your brand and keeping pe keeping things a bit cleaner on what you're known for in the world in general. But I mean, once you get to certain levels, I guess that becomes less of an issue. Like once you become really well known in in your industry and become one of those sort of top level thought leaders and and people who generally have been heard of, that's less important, right? Because your name is known more than what you do. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I'll confess I'm, I'm not quite there yet, <laughs> but, <laughs> not me but yeah, to, to what you're saying, like, it's amazing what little details stick in people's mind. Again, I'll meet someone and they'll be like, oh, did you do? And it's some like random thing that I don't even remember that I did, but, and it has nothing to do with what I want to do, but they saw it some, so it's just, it's it to your point about writing under different names. It's incredibly important to control that message and control your brand until you have the liberty of and the freedom to be able to try some things because you're, yeah, because your name is so synonymous already. Your name is a brand at that point and it's synonymous. So yeah, I hope to get to that point someday. Yeah, me too. I'm booking someone for the show next year who's a digital reputation manager and, and I'm pretty sure that this sort of stuff is going to come up in that conversation it's, and it's going to be yeah. pretty interesting. One thing I want to ask you about is that I think a lot of people don't necessarily consider the customer experience and their side of things when we're going through. We just think, tend to think about what we want to put out there. And I know you have some perspectives on this. Yeah. You know, at this point, a customer experience is one of the things that one of the main points of competition between brands. So, and this is for a many, many reasons. And, and I've written a couple of books about it. I have another one coming out um, in a few months as well about measuring customer experience, but it's, it's become so important where consumers have so much choice. There's so much variety and this really apply. This is B2B, this is B2C, this is however you want to slice it. There's so much choice, variety, ability to customize all of those things that it's not just enough to have a good product that solves a challenge. And it's about what happens not only before the sale and is there a good experience, but after the sale, what's, what is the process like? What is it like to, if there's a problem? This is one reason why the subscription-based economy, I mean, there's so many, so many companies that 20 years ago, you never would have thought why in the world they could never be a subscription-based company. Now they're changing to that model because it keeps constant dialogue with customers. So, you know, I, yeah, I work, I work with a lot of organizations on this that have traditionally thought of all of this stuff more from a marketing, it's either, it was either marketing and branding or it was customer service. Like when something goes wrong and now customer experience, it's existed for decades. People that have done it, they'll tell, they'll remind you of that very quickly, but it hasn't really gotten the notice that it is now simply because. I think a lot of things slipped through the cracks and we were much more focused on this pre-social media. It was all about one-way marketing and social media kind of opened up the doors of dialogue between customers and this customer service became more about what, what is it like to actually deal with a company as opposed to a call time, a much more mechanical kind of process. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I sat within the aviation industry for quite a few years and, uh, and I noticed 
these sorts of changes in there as well. Like when, when I first started in flying, customer service was key. It was king and prime and super important. Like everybody got really well looked after, got well treated. And the it was ensured that people had the best experience that they could have so that they come back and spend more money and hopefully pay for the higher classes as well. Right. And, and it was very much the case. But over the time of, of my time there, I saw that less and less was happening there whilst the companies focused more on profit and, and much more on keeping the costs as low as possible, which of course, some of that gets passed on to consumers, but not all of that. Right. And more and more stuff got taken away. So it ended up becoming uh, in most cases, a much more basic experience. And also because they were generally paying people less to be there and all those kinds of things, again, starts to take away from the experience because the people who were there feel a, less, a bit less privileged to be right. there. And you start to see all these things going that way. And yet now things start to be swinging much more that way of that the experience stuff has to be there for people. You know, that the on, Their online experience, that all gets checked in on. They're making sure that people have a bit more of a better on-flight experience and, and afterwards as well. Like the whole journey uh, and the whole experience that's involved with that is back in focus again. I think in addition to, you know, giving the shareholders their profits and all of that. But yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting to see how those focuses have shifted. And I, I guess we see that uh, a bit more clearly in the digital world. Yeah, I mean, and I would say the the case study there, or at least one one great case study in the airline industry would be Southwest Airlines, who, you know, what this goes to is treating the employees right first. And then, you know, if you do that, the employees treat the customer well. And there's several, you know, Virgin is another one that, that, that really strongly believes in that as well. There's, you know, there aren't as many of those as you would hope, right? Of yeah. those companies that yeah. really prioritize that. But the philosophy is employee experience, good employee experience will translate to great customer experience. And they're not directly, there, there are relationships between them. They're not always directly related, but you can't really have one without the other and, and the employees treating employees well has got to come first. And yeah, we're at right now, we're in a, we're in a challenge in calling it the great resignation and with employees giving second thought to, am I doing, is what I'm doing, what I really want to be doing. And all, that's a, probably a topic of all other show, but, but it's, it's impacting the customer experience when companies can't hire enough people to serve those customers and. I think it really goes back to the, the companies that are treating their, their employees well are suffering less than those that aren't. It doesn't mean that sure. there aren't shortages across industries and across the board, but those that always treated their employees well, they're having a much easier go of it. Yeah. And, and that makes a lot of sense. I know that there's a, a bit of an employment crisis in the US at the moment and, and it's showing in other places as well. But a lot of that seems to be because you know, people are not actually even getting a living wage for yeah. the work that they're doing, often having to do more than that job. And they're thinking, why the heck should I go and do right. this? Let's try and find a job that actually gives me something that's more worthwhile or just not bother. And, and I can understand that, you know, in the yeah. UK, they have uh, a huge issue right now at time of recording this in terms of transportation. And, uh, and one of the things with that is generally in that industry, people have been very poorly treated and it's hard to get them to come back. Is that even if they just do that short term, their assumption is 
they're just going to revert back to that once the initial crisis is over and you can see it. And so, so few people want to do it. Uh, I want to be part of that, but like you say, it could be easily be a whole other show. Uh, and I do want to, I do want to move forward to talking a bit more about podcasting specifically as a tool for influence and persuasion. Like what persuaded you to start a podcast? Yeah, I started, so I'm in, I'm about to start my fourth um, year doing it. So, you know, what, I, when I started it, it was really the first season, so to speak, was about, I had recently written a book. So I wanted to talk about the ideas in, in that book. It was called the agile brand. And I just wanted to talk about branding. And the first season was literally just me. I didn't even have guests. I was literally just me kind of talking about ideas from the book. And as much as I like to hear my own voice, I decided in, in year two, I was going to start bringing on guests and doing interviews, which I found to be not only a lot easier on, on me to, I offloaded some of the burden of the talking to the guests, but also just a lot more interesting and, and dynamic and, and stuff. But as is often the case with me, I dipped my toes. I didn't have time to do a lot of guest scheduling and I didn't really even know what I was getting myself into. So I started iteration one was okay, I'm going to get in the studio and talk about each show in, in the first year was like a different part of a chapter in the book. And I just talked through it and I got a good response from it. But the second year, once I started bringing on guests that I started seeing, not only there were things that were easier about it, people, I was getting a more positive response, but also I was meeting some really, really interesting people through doing this. And so now it be what started as just sort of an experiment is like, I'm, I have no reason to ever stop doing this because I've met such great people. Some of them I have, I've partnered with on things. Some of them have become clients. Even some of them are just really good people to, to know. And I've brought them, I've invited them to speak at events that I'm a part of, or I just stay in touch and just learn stuff from them. And so there's this whole kind of, it's kind of a community that you build of, of people that you know, and you don't necessarily know what is going to come of that experience of knowing them, but at least it, it grows your network in a way that, you know, if I contact people on LinkedIn and say, Hey, will you hire me for consulting? Chances are 99% of them are going to say, no, it's not the right time. But if I say, Hey, do you want to have a conversation? Let's record it. But do you want to have a conversation about customer experience or digital transformation, whatever? They're like, sure. And then if something comes of that, great. If not, that's fine too. I met someone great. And when the time comes, something may come of it. Yeah. I, I had no idea when I started my show that the, it would have these kinds of benefits. And I think initially I just kind of doing it. I was struggling to find guests because I, I didn't really know how to connect with people and I hadn't really thought about any time. I just started it. And you know, so much now I wish I knew when I started that I know now it's, you know, it's a huge learning curve in podcasting, but I do see it as being a, a great tool for getting connected and, and networking with people, a great inroad to be able to approach people who you may otherwise feel you could never approach or go and talk to having a podcast can give you that, but also, you know, that old cliche of your network is your net worth. It, it applies very much. It is a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Yeah. You're building your network is a very good thing to do uh, and can open up so many opportunities to you, especially with a network who you're doing something, like having somebody on a, a one loan podcast is quite a big thing to, to give somebody and to have that exchange. It is a, it is an exchange of value, even if it, even if there's no money change accounts. And yeah, I find absolutely. it interesting from that, but how, how do you view podcasting as a tool for like uh, positioning and branding and, and industry influence? 
Yeah, I think the it's an amazing thing to be able to align yourself with other industry leaders in whatever industry you are. So on the on the surface of it, even it's sitting alongside Fortune 100 company, and I'm sitting alongside executives from some really well known organizations, and it puts you on a level with with the kinds of people that you want to be a potential client or partner or or something like that, and so instantly it elevates your brand to be on par with that. And it, just like you mentioned, first first year or two, I struggled to to get guests and I was calling in favors and, and all that. And I found it's not easy to get to get the Fortune 50s or whatever, but I'm getting requests from people from from some pretty large organizations now instead of me chasing them. I do plenty of chasing as well, but I'm starting to get requests now and it's great. It's it's great to be able to be known for for things and, and now there's several years of shows that they can go back and they can see, oh, they interviewed this person from here and so on and so forth. The first couple of years it's it's a struggle because you just you don't have a lot of past performance, so to speak. So yeah, from a from a branding perspective, I think really just Aligning yourself with the brands and the types of people that you want to work with is, I think that's probably the number one thing. Yeah, it's super important. And I know that it's not the only thing you do. So you already mentioned you have a book out there. So, so tell us a bit about who your book is marketed towards and what it, what it helps with. Yeah, so I've written a few books. And so I've written a series on applying agile principles to non-technical things. So first book was the agile brand, which talks about branding and marketing and touches on customer experience a lot. I did another one called the agile workforce, which is talking about some of the employee experience stuff and, and HR and, and all of that, and just kind of workforce of the future. And then more recently, I wrote a book called the center of experience, which talks again about the relationship between employee experience and, and customer experience. And so, yeah, I like writing. So it's something that I really enjoy doing. So I do quite a bit of it. So in addition to writing books, I write articles for a few publications. And what I've found is, you know, some of those articles make their way into books. I, I find a way to make it easy on myself, if, if nothing else of, you know, I'll take some, I'll compile some articles and put those, some of the books are, are more completely original, but some of those are, are just collections of ideas that I've already written, but it's, it's good. And I think it's people, people respond, people that like reading books, they respond really well to that. Just like it's, right. it's, it's another channel. And so I, but I found a way to make it work for me because there are only so many hours in the day, but I find ways to cross purpose, different types of things that I create. Yeah, for sure. Do, do you feel in, in terms of positioning and influence then that having a book out there is still key in terms of being an authority? I will say yes. I, people, people look at you differently when you have a book. I'll just put it out. I don't, it's not that it's easy. It's, it's not easy to write a book. It's not easy to go through editing and do all of that, all of that. Pro and I'm, I've done, I've self-published all of my books, several, I know many people that have done, gone through publishers and that has its upsides and downsides as well. But yeah, it's when you can hand someone a physical book is still in this digital age. It's still, it's, it still means something to people. Yeah. I have a question. It occurs to me that this is a good one to ask. I should probably ask it on more episodes, but, and I hope this is a good question to ask that if you, if it had to say like from a persuasion point of view, what do you feel is your number one top persuasion skill or tool that you can employ? That's a great question. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to stump me here, but yeah. And I think just, I do think 
pointing to a body of work is aligned with the topic at hand. So for instance, if the, I guess if the task at hand is we're going through, my company is going through X challenge and we need a consultant or an advisor to help. I can say, okay, that's great. I think I'm the one, I'm the one that can help you solve this. Here are three articles that I wrote on this topic. Here's a podcast that I, what I talked about your biggest partner, I interviewed your biggest partner. And by the way, I wrote this book on, you know, the touches on this topic as well. Having a body of work as opposed to just saying, Hey, I'm really good. Please trust me. Or <laughs> even just a resume. Yeah. It's uh, having looked at a lot of resumes over my life there, they say some things, I think it's demonstrating knowledge in some way. And if you're not a writer or a podcaster, then demonstrate it with a case study, like a practical case study with, with meaningful results and, and returns. But I, I have found just being able to point to stuff that I've written and original thoughts that, or as original as thoughts get, I guess that they're always borrowed from somewhere, but being able to point to that, I think it definitely helps. Yeah. Like the expert status thing can really tip the balance when it comes to winning the deal and get spraying the day. Excellent. Those are some great things. I, you already mentioned that you have some books out. We'll make sure there's links for those in, in the show notes for people. You have the Agile World podcast that people can come and check out and there'll be a link for that too. If someone wanted to connect with you and find out more, what's the best way for them to do that other than your books and podcasts? Yeah, sure. So LinkedIn, I'm very active on. So I would say connect, connect with me. Say you heard me on the show. I'd be happy to connect and chat. Excellent. I have prepared you for this as with a few other questions uh, and a few curveballs, but I always ask my guests for a book recommendation other than your own book and, and you can have more than one. And so it doesn't have to be related to what we talked about today, but it can be, or it could just be a book that you feel that everybody should check out. Hey, this is, but you mentioned one at the start, at the start of our chat. Uh, I wonder what would be your recommendations in general? Yeah. So there's definitely, maybe I'll do three. <laughs> so the, I did mention the hard thing about hard things from Ben Horowitz, definitely recommend that. It's an unconventional leadership book. There's a book called Dan, from Daniel Pink called Drive. It's a book about in, intrinsic motivation and just motivation in general. Found it incredibly helpful. I've done some work in that space. So, you know, definitely recommend it. You know, he's written several, you know, yeah. best-selling books. So uh, many are probably already familiar with him. And then I'll just say an oldie, but but a goodie, I somewhat, I never heard of this book before a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewed on another show and, and someone mentioned this to me called The Goal. Many have probably heard of this, but it's a business novel about the theory of constraints. I just read it. I, I'm not a big business novel reader, but it was just, it was an interesting, it was interesting format, but also just taught, it talks about manufacturing, but there was a lot of things that I could apply to just efficiency and process and just getting over kind of executives and leaders getting over getting out of their own way, um, so to speak. So I recommend that it's by Goldrat, Eliyahu Goldrat. So again, many people have probably heard of this 20 years ago or something, but it's new. It was new to me. Yeah. New, new to me as well, but it's one that I would <laughs> definitely, definitely be checking out uh, as well as, uh, the, the hard thing about hard things. That sounds like an interesting read too. Daniel Pink book I've already read, but may well revisit it. So some great recommendations there and I appreciate that. 
as we do draw things to a close, there's, there's certainly more things we could have talked about and we could easily have gone down some rabbit holes. I think we've managed to keep it pretty tight and shared, you shared some really great information and insights. So I appreciate that. And hopefully there's more than one thing that people will take away from this episode. And if there is just one thing you most hope that people will take away and remember from this conversation, what do you think that would be? Yeah, I think don't be afraid to try new things and start small and, and test them. And also don't be afraid to stop things that aren't working and give yourself enough time. Don't quit before you really understand what's going on. Don't be so hard on yourself. Sometimes the, you can, you probably can do more than you think you can, and you don't have to do everything that you're doing. So. Greg Kilstrom, thank you so much for sharing everything you have shared today. It's been a fascinating conversation that I've thoroughly enjoyed and I hope you have too. Thank you for being a guest and Speaking Influence. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, then please consider the price of the show being sharing it out with your friends and your network because if you found some value here, then there's a good chance they will too. Remember to check out our sponsor's Brandface. You can visit the link in the show notes, learnaboutbrandface.com. And next time on the show, we will be meeting Nancy Jutton and talking about one of my favorite topics to talk about, which is about getting yourself on podcasts and making sure that your profile is up to scratch to make sure that you do get selected as the guest on the kinds of shows that you might want to appear on yourself. So don't miss that great show with Nancy. Nancy was fantastic. And I would say there are other reasons to tune into that particular show as well, because Nancy really gives a bit of a masterclass in how to show up as a guest and doing all the right things. So take notes, not just in what she actually teaches, but how she actually shows up as a guest on a podcast herself. And you will learn from that particular episode on multiple levels. The show has just recently moved over from Buzzsprout to Captivate. So if you do notice any differences or changes that you're happy about or not happy about with that change now, then please do let me know so that we can make sure that you get the show at the quality that you want it to be at. For as little as five US dollars a month, you can support the show yourself. Visit the Supercast page in the show notes and you can help buy me a coffee which supports me in making the show, making sure that I am live and wired and ready to go. With many great guests lined up still to come on the show, I hope that you will stay tuned in and subscribe to the show. I look forward to seeing you next time. Wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, have an amazing rest of your day. Go and make great things happen.